Hello and welcome to Foundation Stones from Refuge City Church. Having a solid foundation for our walk with Jesus Christ is vital for every Christian, especially in the times we live in. Through God's word, candid conversations, and everyday application, the aim is to help you build your foundation so you can stand strong for God every day. Buckle in and prepare your heart. Pray this, God, ready my heart for your truth that I might be more like you. We hope today's episode empowers you to grow in your walk with Jesus. Let's dive in. So the two greatest commandments, as Jesus was challenged by a religious lawyer, his answer to them was the first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second, he said, was like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. I think it's very interesting that the greatest commandments in all of the Word of God, in all of God's law, both are encompassed with one word, and that word is love. Hi, my name is Jim Weaver. I'm the host of Foundation Stones, and I want to welcome you back to another episode. Recently, I was spending some time in prayer and thinking about what we really try to accomplish here with Foundation Stones. And the idea of Foundation Stones is that one concept at a time, one precept at a time, one understanding of truth at a time, we're building our Christian foundation so that we can stand strong in the days that we live in with our faith resting securely on Christ, who is our solid rock. And we cannot build a foundation on Christ without building a foundation on the love of Christ, because it is the love of Christ that is truly the bedrock for our faith. Remember what John 3.16 says. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And so if God puts the basis of his salvation, the basis of his rescue plan, the basis of his relationship with mankind on the word love, then I think that it's pertinent that we go after this understanding of love as often as we can. And so many times when you hear a minister like myself or a preacher that you would listen to talk about love, maybe the first thing you think about is, oh, great, not love again. Are you sure we need to talk about love? This Christian thing is love, 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 love. And, and I'm, I'm going to venture to say to you that uh, maybe the reason why we have to keep returning to this concept, this idea, this absolute foundational principle of the love of God and the love of God manifested through us is because, to be really honest, we're not very good at it. I'm not very good at it. You're not very good at it. The reason why I would say that is because we're looking at a world that's broken. We're looking at a church that wrestles with how to love God and love people. And because people are involved in our daily lives, we're really challenged every single day with how do we manifest the love of God. And then, of course, we're challenged every single day because if you're anything like me, you fail at it because we're just imperfect people. Yes, we've been saved. Yes, we've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Yes, we've been forgiven. Yes, we've been seated with Christ in heavenly places. But we're still living in an earthly realm where we deal with the flesh, where we deal with our selfishness and our insecurities and our unforgiveness. And so I got to thinking about this the other day as I was thinking about what to bring to us in this week's Foundation Stone, and and this thought rose up in my spirit. What happens when love grows cold? And so I want to talk about that today, when love grows cold. And specifically, I'm talking about the love that Jesus was talking about in the two greatest commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, strength, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. 
Because when those two definitions of love grow cold, we are in danger of being outside of the will of God. And so let's explore that a little bit. And I want to open up the scriptures in Matthew chapter 24. Then we're going to go back to Matthew 23 and we're going to look at some scriptures in between. But to give you some context, Matthew 24 is after Jesus has given some warnings, some woes, if you will, that are describing what happens when believers, when religious people allow the love to turn them more into a religious zealot without the authentic love of God and love for people in their lives. So Jesus proclaimed these woes, and then as he was leaving the temple, his disciples, as if nothing had happened, started to admire the architecture of the temple and started making reference to the beauty of what humanity had created. And so let's pick this up in Matthew 24. Let's look at verse 1. It says, Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things, he asked? Truly, I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. And that's a pretty significant statement for Jesus to make. And so they continued down the path. They're heading to the Mount of Olives. It says this in verse 3, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So in this scripture, we'll see this in verse 12. We're going to talk about when love grows cold. So verse 12, it it says this, Jesus told his disciples, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Some versions actually use the word iniquity in place of wickedness, but the Greek word for iniquity or wickedness is the word anomia. And what it means is a violation of the law of God. It's a violation of God's law. It's a violation of godly principles. It's a violation of the truth of God. And so basically what this is saying is the increase of wickedness, the increase of lawlessness, the increase of the violation of the law. Can you see that in our society right now? Can you see what's happening in the world as we get farther and farther away from the law of God? This wickedness, this iniquity, is beginning to increase. And that increase, it's literally defined in the Greek as something that expands and can even expand exponentially. So something that starts small begins to take on a life of its own. It becomes a monster in and of itself. So it says, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. 
So what does the word love mean? It's the Greek word agape, which is brotherly affection or the deepest form of love. It's the kind of love that is supposed to be without strings attached. I love you. I have a brotherly affection for you. I would die for you. That kind of love. It's not the kind of love that I love pizza. I love my shoes. I love my CD collection. I'm aging myself there because no one has CDs anymore, but you know what I mean. This whole idea of loving something as opposed to, no, I really love someone. So it says that the love of many, or some versions say the love of most, will grow cold. So whose love is that? Really what it is describing to us is everyone. The love of everyone will grow cold. But, you know, interestingly, in the context of this scripture, it's especially those who will turn away from the faith. Because look what happened right before in verse 10. It says, at that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. And then it talks about the increase of wickedness and the love of most growing cold. So what this is talking about is people who once had a faith in Christ, who once had a living, vibrant faith in the salvation of Jesus, winds up betraying and hating one another because they have turned from the faith. And so whose love is it? It's everyone's, but especially those who will turn away from the faith. And then they can turn into false prophets, those that have a form of religiosity that can come and use all the right words and deceive many, and they'll tolerate wickedness. You see, they don't necessarily turn away from religion or turn away from a faith system of sorts, but they turn away from the faith that they had in Christ's way of salvation in order to gain their own advantage on this earth. They're literally turning away from loving God and loving people, and more they're turning to love religion and love, prominence, and Jesus had a lot to say about that. So Jesus' instructions here continue because in verse 12 it says, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. It will grow cold. Some versions say wax cold, thinking of a candle. You know, when the candle goes out, the wax rehardens. Growing cold is the Greek word sucho, and it means a reduction of temperature by evaporation or to cool by blowing on. So think of this, you get something on your plate for dinner that's extra hot, it's too hot to consume. So what do you do? You blow on it to cool it off. And that's what this verse is describing because increase of wickedness, there will actually be a blowing over. There will be a reduction of passion, a reduction of love <laughs> by the blowing on it of the wickedness of this world. That's, that's wild to me. It's, it's a wild thing for us to think about how the love of God could be something that would become the victim. Really, in this context, if you look at what Jesus is saying, it's the victim of religion. It's a victim of thinking that we have the form of godliness, but we deny the power. What's the power of God? It's the love of God and the love that he gives us for people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow or will wax cold. Let's back up to Matthew 23 because I want you to see where we came from when we got to Matthew 24. Jesus was in the temple and he was teaching and he was actually giving woes to all the religious people. Then as they walked out of the temple, what we just read was what he said. But let's find out what he said right before he left the temple. Matthew 23, and I'm going to show you a few verses here that really should send a cold shiver up our spine as believers in Christ because we're susceptible, all of us to this kind of an attitude if we're not careful. Matthew 23, verse 1. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. 
So you must be careful to do everything they tell you. So let me give you context here, because what he is talking about is the teachers of God's law and the Pharisees. The Pharisees were a sect of priests that were basically the elite. They were highly educated. They knew the answers from a very young age. They memorized scripture. And they literally sat in Moses' seat. What that means is is that they have the ability to judge what is right and wrong based on their interpretation of Scripture. So Jesus says in verse 3, So you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. So as we read that, we get this picture of, well, the priests are the pastors of the day. And, and of course, the pastors, those of us like myself who are in vocational ministry or who are called of God to hold a ministry office, we need to take heed to this. Of course, we absolutely do. My calling to serve the Lord by serving his people is something that I take very reverently. But you know, it's a very interesting place to sit because you have a title. You've got a sense of prominence. You've got a sense of respect from people. You have the ability to stand up before people and interpret God's word. And God actually tells us through his apostle James that those who teach are held to a higher standard than those who do not. And so, of course, the preachers, those Pharisees, those individuals who have the title in Jesus' day, they were held to a higher standard just as I am today as any of our pastors here at Refuge City Church or any pastor or leader or person that you hear on YouTube or anything like that, they're held to a higher standard. They will answer to God for how they teach. But can I tell you, if you're a believer in Jesus, if you're a carrier of the salvation of God, you too have got to practice what you preach. Otherwise, what you preach has no power. And so it becomes a form of religion with no substance. Because religion without love is empty. Let's jump down to verse 23. Let's see what he continues to say to those prominent preachers and religious leaders. And and put yourself in this for just a second, because you know Jesus. At least I hope that you do if you've been listening to Foundation Stones. You have an accountability because you carry the presence of God. You carry the message of the gospel in your life. And so in many ways, in Day after day, opportunities, you and I have the opportunity to teach other people about the goodness of God. So don't let yourself off the hook here. I'm not going to let myself off the hook, and I'm going to encourage you not to let yourself off the hook. Verse 23, he says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. So he's saying, you've kept the letter of the law. You have actually given your tithe down to the smallest leaf of the smallest little amount of product that you have grown or that you have used or your spices and, and your crops and all of that kind of, you, you, you measure it perfectly. You've done it perfectly, but you missed justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Those are all things that have to do with how we treat other people. So you're perfectly religious, but you miss the heart of people. It's a contradiction. He says, you should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides. You strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. (laughs) There's a picture. Verse 25, he continues, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside also will be clean. Verse 27, 
Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. And so obviously, as a minister of the gospel, I take this deeply into my heart. I don't want to embody this definition of Pharisee and teacher of the law. I want to be someone that Jesus can depend on to not only rightly divide the word of God, but also love people. And there are many who have the ability to rightly divide the word of God, but they don't love people. They don't treat people with righteousness, justice, and mercy. He said, don't give up the righteousness, justice, and mercy just to do the finer points of the law so you can be impressive to people in your religious activity. Don't let your love grow cold. And so how does love grow cold? How does it grow cold? So I was thinking about that imagery of the candle going out and then the wax getting hard again and got me to thinking about the times in scripture where the Bible describes our passion for Christ like a fire. And so what happens when our love grows cold, it's because the fire went out. It's because the candle was blown out. It was cooled off. All of a sudden, what once burned hot, what once burned with a passion, what once produced light and heat and aroma for the room is now cold and dead and dark. And what was supposed to be lit up is now actually just the form and the shadow and the shell of what it used to be. Paul reminded his protege Timothy that he needed to keep the fire burning. 2 Timothy 1.6, he says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. You see, a flame (laughs) needs oxygen. A flame needs to be fanned. Have you ever had a campfire and you had those coals, but it started to get cold and you needed to stir them up and you needed to add some more fuel to the fire. And then all of a sudden, because there was some breathing space and because there was some movement of the fuel, because there was an activity that was designed to reignite the flame, all of a sudden the flame came back to life and the heat came back up and the fuel was consumed once again and the fire remained for another period of time. You see, when our fire goes out, it's because we didn't stoke the flame. We didn't actually go in there and move stuff around and keep ourselves fresh, staying in the word, staying in prayer, staying in worship, staying in the place where our passion was when we first came to the Lord. You see, the church of Ephesus that Jesus spoke to through the apostle John in the book of Revelation, he said, I have this one thing against you. You've lost your first love. And the instruction of Jesus was, go back and do what you did at first. What did you do at first? You added fuel to the flame. You went back and stoked the fires. You were so excited about Jesus that the thought of ever letting the flame go out was an atrocity to you. And so the way that we prevent our love from growing cold, from waxing cold, is that we continue to stoke the flames. We go before the Lord for ourselves every single day. We stir the embers of the passion that we once had. We get to the altar. We bring a sacrifice, we fast, we pray, we worship, we press into his presence because it costs far too much to let our love grow cold. I like what it says in Song of Songs. This is a book of the Bible that talks about the romance between a husband and a wife, but it also can be interpreted to understand the passion and the relationship between our Heavenly Father and his bride. And It says this in Song of Songs 8, verse 6. 
It says, place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm. For love is as strong as death, its jealousy unyielding as the grave. It burns like a blazing fire, like a mighty flame. And so how do we keep that passion, that love that is as strong as death from going out? We have to realize that there is a wind that is contrary to the passion and the flame of Christ Jesus, and it's the worldly wind. It's the worldly cares and the lack of maintenance of our passionate fire for the Lord that uses up all the fuel it needs to be stirred up again. And you see, by very nature, by very nature, fire needs to be stirred. It has to be fueled. It has to be moved around. It has to be monitored always. We have to stoke it all the time. And so what happens is sometimes our fuel runs out. Sometimes we go through a dry spell. Sometimes we get into the motions. We get into the rut. We get into the things of life or even more so like we've seen in the last couple of years, we get into the fear of the world and we start to hear of what Jesus described. We'll hear wars and rumors of wars, but Jesus said, don't let this alarm you. Don't let this steal your faith. Don't let this steal your love. But what happens is, is that fear and anxiety, the things that blow against our faith causes us to go into the form of religion, but we lose the love. We stop seeing people because of their soul and we start seeing people under the titles that they carry. That person is from a different political party than I agree with. That person has trouble with understanding their pronouns. That person is this. This person is that. And all of a sudden we're seeing through people, but we don't actually see people anymore because the winds of this world has blown out our love. We don't see people. We don't even sometimes see God through that lens of the passion of the flame on our heart of love. It's now just a religious injunction. It's now just a religious form. We have all the right answers. We're rightly dividing the word and we even know how to warn people and do this and do that. But what happens is, is we don't love people anymore. Because really all, all we're doing is allowing the wind of this world to push against us. A worldly wind blew out the flame. It, it used up the oil. <laughs> it used up that oil, that fuel, that Holy Spirit inside of us. We refused to fill back up again because we thought we had all the answers, but we didn't continue to pursue the altar and pursue his presence so that our love wouldn't wax cold. See, Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 25. He continues with these same warnings. So we've read in Matthew 24, we backed up to Matthew 23, and now we're bouncing over to Matthew 25, and Jesus is on a roll here. He's giving us a picture of making sure that we are stoking the fan. We're stoking and fanning the flame of our love for God and our love for people because he warns us with a parable, a story that he told of 10 virgins. And so what happened in the days of Jesus was that there was one virgin who was pledged to be married and she had an accompaniment of other virgins that were to be her aides as she was preparing, sometimes for a very long time, because the groom and his entourage could show up at any moment, but they didn't know the day or the hour. And so they were supposed to keep their oil lamps burning. They were supposed to keep oil in their lamps and their wicks trimmed because the groom could arrive in the daytime. He could arrive at night. They didn't know. They just had to make sure that their lamp was burning. So when they were caught up, they had enough light to get them to where they were going at the wedding ceremony. 
And so we'll pick up Jesus' parable here in verse 6 of Matthew 25 because he shows us that all of a sudden something happened. Verse 6, at midnight the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out and meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there might not be enough for us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. <laughs> Verse 10, but while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet and the door was shut. Later on, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door to us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. You see, what Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 23 was that because of the increase of wickedness, because of the increase of iniquity, or like I described to you the definition of the Greek, the increase of lawlessness, we are not abiding by God's law. What it does is it twists our heart. Our heart becomes hardened. All of a sudden, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. We get so cynical at humankind that we stop loving and we stop loving with a pure heart. And this is what happens is we we lose our first love. We go, well, the world is just absolutely going crazy and I am just so fed up with people and all the things that they've done and so I just can't stand those people anymore. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Here's an amazing miracle of God and something that's available to you and something that's available to me is that even as wickedness increases in our day, even as wickedness increases in your child's school system, even as wickedness increases in your family, even as wickedness increases on the news media and in politics and in the world stage where wars and rumors of wars and all the things are going on, famines, pestilences, all the things that we're seeing, one of the greatest miracles that you and I could ever experience is that as the wickedness increases, our love also increases. Why are we allowing the world to determine the temperature of our love? Ask yourself, why am I allowing the temperature of the world to determine the temperature of my love for God and my love for people? You see, our love for Christ and others becomes secondary if we're not careful because we're so worried about the wickedness and we're so consumed with the empty shell of religious activity and head knowledge, but it's at the expense of loving God and loving people. You see, what happens is is that we're no longer in the trenches with people as often as we're on the seat of judgment over people. Let me say that again because this was challenging to me as I wrote it down. If we're not careful, if we allow our love to wax cold, it's likely because we allowed ourselves a pass on being in the trenches with people and we're actually now seated on the seat of judgment over people. If you find that to be true in your life, I encourage you, repent. Come to a place where you go, you know, at one time, I loved God and I loved people so much that I would lay down my life for one. And now I'm more consumed with making blanket statements over the wickedness of the world, but I'm no longer in the trenches with people who are hurting and need the love of Jesus. So let me give you a few thoughts. What happens when love grows cold? What happens when love grows cold? First thing that happens, I believe, is that the world no longer sees Jesus inside of us. 
Jesus told the disciples in John 13, this is one of my favorite verses because it really gives a definition. You can take the temperature of your life with this very thing right here. John 13, verse 34 and verse 35. He says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So a question for you. Are you at odds with people and you are unwilling to budge? You're unwilling to bend. You're unwilling to build a bridge. All you're doing is sticking with the principle of the thing, but you won't stay in love with your fellow disciples of Christ. That's a sign of the end of the times. Because wickedness is increasing, the love of most will grow cold. But Jesus said that the way that the world will know that we are his disciples, basically what he's saying is, is now we have a platform from which we can tell the good news because they can recognize him in us. And it's this, we love each other. And if we don't love each other, we're actually discrediting the very gospel that we proclaim as truth. Did you hear me? If we don't love each other, we're discrediting the very message that we proclaim is the answer to the world's problems. So if you're at odds with somebody, my encouragement, I implore you, reconcile, repent, forgive. And you might say, well, Pastor Jimmy, you have no idea what they did to me, and they're very obviously wrong. At what expense are you willing to bet that you are in the right? Or would it be even that much more effective for you to come to that person and say, you know, we might not see eye to eye with that. I might not like how you do this or how you do that, but it is not worth discrediting the gospel message that I love to be so right at the expense of you and I not being in unity with each other. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody's going to be right, so that person may be wrong. But here's a thought. Maybe you're wrong. (laughs) You know, sometimes I think about that and I'm like, wow, for me to think that every point that I have ever brought up, I am always right, is arrogant. And so, yeah, I want to study to show myself approved and I want to grow and I want to learn, but I am susceptible to being wrong. And so are you. And I think that's what Jesus is really warning us against. Wickedness increases, we stop loving, and everybody thinks that they're right, but they won't love each other. And now the gospel is discredited. Heaven forbid. I want to walk in unity with my brothers and sisters so the world will know that we are his disciples and they'll listen to the message that we proclaim. And we'll iron out all the finer points later. Some of the stuff that we argue over is not salvation issues. And so why are we making it a big deal here? It causes the world to look at us and say, wow, if they can't even love each other, then why in the world would I want what they're telling me I need? So like I said, the world no longer sees Jesus in us if our love has grown cold. The next thing that happens is that we become Pharisees. This is basically Jesus' way of saying we become more enamored with religion than we are enamored with the love of God. And so let me go back to Matthew chapter 23, and let's see what he is telling the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. You know, I don't think that Jesus hated these people. He loved them. 
And he wanted them to have revelation, but their hearts were so stubborn in religion that they couldn't see the love of God, even though he was standing right in front of them. Verse 2, it says, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. See, there's an indicator right there. If we are willing to tell people what they're doing wrong, but we're unwilling to come up underneath their arm and to shoulder their burden with them, then all we are doing is championing a religious system, but we're not willing to walk with people in the love of Jesus. Verse 5, he says, everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and their tassels and their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah, the greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And so if you are more concerned with title and opportunity and what people think of you and what your appearance is before man, but you're unwilling to get down with the lowest servant and serve and just do whatever it takes to love somebody, you may be in danger of having your love grow cold. I think all of us have been there before. There's times where the Holy Spirit has to grab a hold of my heart and say, Jim, you go in there and you take care of that even though nobody's going to see it and nobody is going to say thank you and nobody's ever going to know. You're doing it for me and you're doing it because I'm going to produce fruit in the kingdom through you because you're loving even though nobody is seeing it. You see, your religion, (laughs) it's done because of love of God and love of people and it doesn't have to be noticed at all. Because what will happen is when we don't get what we want or when we see the wickedness of the world expanding and growing, we can become very cynical and our hearts can become very callous. What's cynicism? Cynicism is basically looking at everything through a jaded lens. I don't believe that. I don't think that can really happen. Oh, those people. When we start doing broad strokes of definition of people around us, we're cynical. We've basically had so much life happen to us that no longer do we have any hope. No longer do we have any optimism. No longer do we have any joy in what could happen because basically the good old days already were and everything that's ahead is just so terrible. And if all those people would just get it together, then this whole thing would be fixed. That's cynicism. And then what is callousness? Callousness is when life has rubbed on your heart so much that you no longer feel. You no longer care. It no longer matters to you if there's a person in front of you that's suffering or a person in front of you that's deceived or a person in front of you that needs someone to walk with them and to disciple them. When the things of this world have caused our heart to be tough like leather, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. John 8 verse 3, it says, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? Now, you may have heard this story, and you can go back to John chapter 8 and read the whole thing, but the thing that I want to point out with this story is these Pharisees had absolutely no compassion for the soul and a heart that was right before them, suffering and broken. 
how would you like it if you were that woman? And yeah, you were very definitely a sinner, but now you were publicly humiliated by a religious teacher, a religious Pharisee, a religious person. Could you imagine? What, what would have had to happen in the hearts of these religious people to be able to justify humiliating another human being? That's amazing. That's cynicism and callousness at its finest. Another place where this happened is in Mark chapter 3, verse 1. Another time Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. You see, what they were wanting to do was accuse Jesus of breaking one of the Ten Commandments, which was to do no work on the Sabbath. But they missed the fact that this man had been suffering for years with a shriveled hand and couldn't lead a normal life. So they were more apt to follow a law than to love a soul. And look what happened with Jesus in verse 5. It says, He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. You see, if we are so apt to hold to the letter of the law at the expense of a soul, If we have allowed our hearts to become cynical and callous, it's because our love has grown cold. And so that cynicism and that callousness absolutely discredits the good news gospel that we claim to walk in. I know this is a heavy word, and it's heavy for me even as I'm teaching it to you, but I want to ask you to evaluate your heart and say, is my love growing cold or is it still like it was when I first came to Christ? Do I love God and love people like I did at one time? Because you see, the next thing that happens is we lose our compassion. We lose our compassion, our empathy, our ability to feel what somebody else feels and really care about that person over and above ourselves. So I see this in the love chapter in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, because what it describes is the Apostle Paul has been giving an amazing dissertation on all of the gifts of the Spirit and the importance of the body working at its fullest. But he basically says, if all of that stuff works just like it's supposed to, but there's no love behind it, it doesn't count for anything. Let me read what he says to you. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's not very long, and so I encourage you to listen today with your heart. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. 
But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. And where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, and then I shall know fully even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And so it's so imperative for us, friends, to take an inventory of our heart. As I'm teaching this, I'm even taking an inventory in my heart saying, Lord, I know that wickedness, iniquity, lawlessness is increasing. It's exponentially increasing, and I'm frustrated about it. I'm irritated about it. I'm grieved about it. But Lord, my love can't go down the road of cynicism and callousness simply because the world is in turmoil. And so this is my encouragement to you as I get ready to close out this podcast today. Will you pray this with me? That God would keep our heart soft, and that one of the greatest miracles of all would be that as wickedness and iniquity and lawlessness increase in our day, that our love grows all the more. So that we can be bearers of good news, we can be the light that is set on a hill, so that when the world looks, they can see something real and something authentic. Pray with me. Father God, I confess to you that I have been frustrated with the state of the world. And honestly, sometimes with the state of us as Christians that would allow and permit such evil things to happen in this world, sometimes I bear more of the burden of that than I should. Lord, I realize that people have free will, that this world is going a little bit wild because we know that time is short and Jesus, you're going to return soon. But God, I do not want my love to grow cold as wickedness and iniquity abound. As that increases, God, I ask for myself and for those who are listening that my love would grow even faster and even bigger than the iniquity that's around me. I might not be able to reach the whole world in my limited human form, but Lord, those that I can reach, may there be no question in every conversation and every interaction that I love them because I love God. Lord, I pray that we would do as the word of God declares to us to do that we would produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And that as we do that, God, that you would be able to use us in the lives of hurting people that right now are in the middle of a culture, in the middle of a society, that iniquity and wickedness is abounding and they're confused and they're hurting and they need an answer and they need somebody to carry the hope of Christ because we love God and we love people. Forgive us of cynicism. Forgive us of being callous. Forgive us of allowing our religious faith system to be more important to us than loving you and loving people. God, I pray that you would help our hearts to once again be broken and bleed for the things that break your heart. That, Lord, we would see people like the woman who was caught in adultery and see her soul. That we would see people like the man with the shriveled hand and instead of worrying about what rule we're breaking, that we would actually reach out and touch that person who needs the love of Christ. 
God, I ask you for help in this because, Lord, we're living in a time where it's very difficult. But I thank you for what Paul says in Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So we lean into your strength. We ask you for your help, and we thank you for it today in the name of Jesus. I thank you for listening today, friend, and I just encourage you throughout the week, do an inventory on your heart. Don't let your love grow cold. Fan it into flame, stir the embers, add some oil, add some fuel, add some oxygen, get the breath of the Spirit of God back on your love, and watch Jesus use you in so many ways this week. I love you, and I'll talk to you again next week. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Join us next time for another deep dive into the foundation stones of our faith in Jesus Christ. For more information about Refuge City Church or to join our giving team to keep the gospel of Jesus Christ moving forward and making resources like this podcast available into the future, visit refugecity.church.